Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, let's pray. Prepare our hearts for the message today. Join with me. Lord, we thank you. Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. God, you're faithful to complete it. You're the author and the finisher. Lord, you started it. And Lord, what you've begun, you're going to finish. And Lord, I like the, the, two, word, the, the two aspects of that word, the finishing, Lord, the fine-tuning, and Lord, again, and also bringing it all together, Lord, in our race. Father, to, Lord, that, that you are committed by the Holy Spirit to helping us attain, Lord, those goals, Lord, the fulfillment of the prophetic destiny for each one of us. You're committed to that, to finishing that work. Lord, all we have to do is surrender to it. Lord, it does engage your will, and Lord, we need to do that today. That's why we're here. So Lord, bless us, keep us, God. Open our hearts to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm beginning a series that I'm going to probably have no idea how long it's going to go or how long it'll take me. Um, I don't like to lock myself in uh, as far as that is concerned because we will have different things that will come up. But it's been on my heart for months, actually, to begin a series out of the book of Judges. And I really believe it has a prophetic aspect and there's going to be quite a bit that God is going to speak to us during this, this period, during this, this series. And so I just kind of want to lay a quick foundation for that, to just say, you know, the book of Judges is for the times. It's, it's a book that um, covers many years, over almost, almost uh, 200 years of, uh, well, some say 400 years, but uh, at least 200 years of, of Jewish history. And during that time, God was teaching and training. Matter of fact, it has such a specific um, application to us, it's scary. And uh, so I think, in that sense, it's time for us to roll up our sleeves, dig in, and see what it is that God is trying to speak to us in this hour as a local church and as individuals, of course. So I want to begin in uh, Judges chapter 1. And, of course, I'm not going to read all of the book. I encourage you to do that in your time, during your reading. If you're going through the, the Bible in a year, I, I, you know, I want you to stick to your plan, of course, uh, but as you have time to go ahead and read in the book of Judges and uh, follow with me as we go. But what I'd like to do is take a, a selection here and break it down for us this morning. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which had done for Israel. Then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-Hires, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord 
and God of their, the, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord turned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. The title of the message today is Passing the Torch. Because I want to look at this. When we look at the, you know, this is a disappointment. It's hard for us to read this and think, gosh, Israel, what, what were you thinking? All that God had done for you. All that you had experienced. 40 years of amazing. I mean, seeing a pillar of fire burning in the middle of the night to give you light. I mean, it didn't need electricity. Pillar of fire. A cloud that would form and would move. And when that, 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 that cloud would not move with the rest of the clouds. Just sat there. And when that cloud moved, they knew to move. The miracles that they saw in the camp, the, the battles, the victories, the crossing of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Pharaoh's army, the blessing, the, the manna that was there every single morning, the water that would come out of the rock where there was no stream. Miracle after miracle after miracle of God taking care of his God people. And so when we look at this, of course, we we wonder. And, of course, these stories and the history of Israel is there for us as Christians to study. It's there for us to look at and to to look at the the, the hang-ups, the trips, the struggles, the battles, the failures, and the victories. They're all there for us to learn from. They're all there for us to gather the wisdom of God And to dig deep for the application, for the biblical principles that can change our our lives if we'll let them. And so the book of Judges is all about recounting what we would call the cycle of victory and failure. Okay, The cycle of victory and failure. As a matter of fact, God told them, and and of course was reiterated with Joshua when he took over Moses' job as the leader of Israel, of course, Joshua led them in the victory over Jericho, and you know that story. So the people had been well-versed in knowing, if you serve the Lord, things will go well with you. So when they understood, when Jericho, of course, their, their enemies, and, and of course, these were fierce enemies, and here they were, you know, just a wandering people. No, really, you know, they had been hardened, of course, over the last 20 years of, of preparation, but here they were ready to, uh, uh, to move forward. And Joshua had taught them, and he made it very clear to them, look, when you serve God, things will go well. If you don't, things will not. When you serve God, his favor will be there, and he'll go before you, and the battle will be won before you've even fought it. And they saw that over and over again. With example, of course, the walls come tumbling down for there at Jericho, amen? I mean, only God can do that kind of a thing. They didn't have dynamite in those days. God did it, and God showed them. He illustrated this for them over and over again, but he also warned them, and he said, look, when you don't serve him, things are not going to go well. You will see and sense the absence of God. You'll have to work a lot harder. And, of course, that's exactly what the Israelites did over time. 
is that they, and, 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 and you will see that even in our own lives, when we see those things, those blessings begin to dry up rather than to say, okay, God, what are you doing? We often say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do harder? Okay? And so, again, the book of Judges is all about this lesson for Israel being learned over and over and over again. And you'd think over time they'd finally figure it out. Of course they didn't. Because we know that under all of this, what we're being taught is that Israel needed a what? They needed a savior, didn't they? Because they were broken from the inside. And of course, God was using all of that to prepare them for their need for a savior, as well as for us. When things go well for us and we're serving God, we see his hand. When we begin to withdraw from him or we forget him, or we lose our first love, as, as the book of Revelation talks about, then we begin to see you know, the absence of favor. And, and these are things that we should pay attention to. They teach us. They remind us that, yes, indeed, we need a Savior. This is considered one of the great dramas, of course, if not a mystery of the Bible. This falling away necessitates the coming of a Savior, a millennia and a half later. However, before we begin our series from the book of Judges, it's right to begin with the question, why? Why? Why did Israel fall away? Sin, yeah, sin, of course, easy. But how exactly? And that is where our study begins. How exactly? And where we can dig in and apply these things to our lives. See, God wants us to catch that. He, he gave us the book so that we might study it and learn and grow, observe, and say, you know, it's like sitting on the side of the street and watching someone walk across that street without looking both ways, and right? And you look at that and say, whoa, okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to look both ways. I'm going to be very careful before I stick my head out there, to, and then I'll go. It's learning through observation. The Bible is a wonderful book in that way. It gives us so many lives, so many examples, so many canvases upon which God has painted a wonderful story. And if you don't think that your life matches with anything, I mean, you haven't read enough. Because the more you read, you'll find that your life, there's going to be someone in there that you can identify with. You can say, wow, that's kind of like me. And you can apply those truths. We're encouraged to study the struggles, the failures, and the victory of God's people from the past to gather wisdom for our times. If we dig deep enough, we will grow wiser through the discovery and just maybe avoid those same pitfalls. Now, the beauty is we do have Jesus. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? Because where we fall short, he's ready to pick us up. They didn't have that. They didn't have that. They have the sacrificial system, of course, the covenant of works. So they did have to work harder, never was enough. When we stumble and fall, Jesus is right there to catch us and pick us up. But what we need to understand, folks, is that Jesus Jesus came to fulfill the law. He did not abolish it. And he said, now look, I'm not telling you to just go out and, 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 and he said, In the Old Testament, it talked about murder. He said, don't don't kill or don't murder. He says, I give you a new application of that law, and that is, don't even call your brother a fool. Whoa. 
I would not say that the law was done away with. I would say it was kind of enhanced, wouldn't you? I would say that he kind of raised the standard. And it's exactly true. In the law of love, in the law of grace, what we tend to think is, oh, well, you know, I'm forgiven of sins. I just go back and do whatever I want. No, 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 no. Sin is still sin. Still brings some pain. Still brings some struggle. And we need to catch that part. That's why God included these stories in the Bible for us to see. Because he said, look, I have forgiven your sin. But the healing of the land is up to you. The restoring of your life is up to you. He's there to help us. He's there to forgive. He's there to wash us. He's there to give us strength and energy to move forward. But there's still choices we have to make. Okay, And so when we look at the book of Judges, we're not going to be anachronistic. In other words, we're not going to force a New Testament theology into it, which would be wrong. Many people do that. No, we're going to take what it is. God dealing with little children. Theological infants. And we can take that and apply it to what we know about Jesus. We can take these things. Matter of fact, what we can see is, for certain, is that Sin is still sin. Paul said it. He said, look, sin is death. And it's what it's going to do. It is going to produce death. It may not cut you off in your relationship with Jesus. Thank God. But it most certainly will bring pain. It will bring struggle. It will cause you to have to carry a lot more weights than God ever intended for you to carry. And that's what we're after in this journey. To cut those chains. Learn. Grow so that we can run free, amen? We can avoid those pitfalls and experience more grace because we're getting these things out of the way. We're growing, we're learning, we're we're, we're submitting ourselves freshly to God so he can do that work inside us. So let's let's go forward here. If you look at this section of, of Scripture, here we have what we call I like to call the for me in my house Joshua. I like to give little nicknames. That's what I'm gonna call him, the for me in my house. What we know about Joshua is he was very dedicated. Joshua was an amazing leader, incredibly committed, and carried the people of God in many ways, his faith. And under his leadership, the people of God did well. They advanced in taking the inheritance they had waited for for 40 years. So we see that in the scripture. It says, under Joshua's care, they went forward. They went out and they got their land, the inheritance that was divided up for them. And for the, so the people's you know, that, you're, you're going to get those, that part of the land, and you're going to get that part, and I don't want to get into all that. It's, it's pretty technical, but just showing all the divisions of the land. Under Joshua's care, things were going well. And so they enjoyed the favor of God. However, we begin to see those seeds of compromise start to leak in after Joshua uh, passes away. And or really actually towards the end of Joshua. And my, my guess is it's because Joshua is getting older. He's having a little more difficult time kind of just saying, okay, guys, how are you doing on what you're doing? So what they were supposed to do, okay, follow me here. What they were supposed to do is go take their land and they were supposed to supplant or kick out or completely demolish the people that, peoples that were already there, okay? So he's saying, look, I'm giving you the land, but there's squatters there. There are people that are there and you're supposed to go and defeat them, kick them out. In many cases, destroy them completely. And we all know what that means. And why? Because people ask, man, gosh, man, the Bible is so bloody and full of wars. Why did God 
command them to do that. Because, of course, it was a, a picture. Again, be careful not to take New Testament theology and force it upon them. You can't do it. Because God was dealing with, with them with the revelation they had of who God was. He said, look, there's no place for compromise here. You, went, you let one survive. They will. One bad apple corrupts the whole tribe. And that's what was going, God was trying to teach him. He said, look, if you let some of these people survive, you're going to intermarry with them, and they're going to bring their Baals, they're going to bring their Ashtaroth poles, because that's what they grew up, and that's the only God they've ever known, and they would let that come into their lives. Now, they didn't just do it wholeheartedly. They didn't just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to forget about Jehovah and start worshiping Ashtaroth, which was a very hard goddess not to worship, by the way, because it was, all, it was very sexual which is interesting in and of itself. Fertility goddess. But that's not the first step they took. The first step was not to say, Jehovah, no more. Let's go over and worship this goddess. No, they said, um, can we worship both? Can we worship both at the same time? I mean, because we know that God, Jehovah, yeah, man, we heard the stories. We know exactly what he did for us. I, my, my grandpa told me. I mean, he was there. He saw it. But can we do both? And because nobody really stood up and said no, it began to carry on. We call that syncretism, bringing together the different faiths. Follow this now. It was their undoing. Because God had told them, he said, look, I have no other gods before me. Did he not tell them that in the Ten Commandments? Right? None of these gods before me. But that's where they began to stumble. And so it began to leak in over time. And because they didn't have Joshua anymore to come and to say, hey, look, wait, 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 wait. No, you can't do this. And of course, this passion coming from Joshua, who was a young man sitting at the base of the mountain, the only man to do so, while Moses went up the top, came back down. Moses went up, came back down. Who was waiting the whole time there for him? Joshua. Joshua there on the mountain. Do you remember what they said about the mountain? Anybody who touches it does what? Dies. Something special about that, Joshua. What it tells me is that guy's heart was pure. That guy was committed. That guy said, look, the presence of God or death. And God looks at it and says, yes. So when the time came to pass the torch from Moses to Joshua, it was, it was, it was well known. But now Joshua's got the torch. What is he going to do with it? So we see this half-hearted attempt at following God, beginning to come in. And what it did initially was end in half victories. Follow this. Follow this now. Half victories. And so what they were is, is they're going out and they're trying to take over these lands, but they're saying, look, I tell you what, man, man look, at, look at that guy's family. Man, he's got some beautiful daughters there. It'd be a real waste to kill those gals. Why don't we save those for our sons? Uh-oh. I'm talking reality here. This is exactly what took place. Man, look at all that gold and those little idols. Man, I know it looks like Ashtaroth and all, but man, it's gold. Hey, and and, and some, of the, some of the older men would come over there and say, I wouldn't touch that. I would not touch that. I remember an AI. I remember this guy named Aiken. Don't touch that stuff. Come on, old man. I mean, this is a new day. This is a new culture, new times. I mean, things have moved on. We've progressed. 
And that's what they began to do. And as a result, they only got half victories. So they tried to take the land, and they didn't get it all. Not as Moses had commanded them. He said, look, when you go in to take your inheritance, take it all. And don't let a single person from that land survive. You must wipe it clean so that you can start. In time, they stopped doing that. Compromise worked its way in. I remember, half-hearted attempts only give us half victories. In the case of the Israelites, it produced seeds of major struggles later. The idols of the people they did not reject became a stumbling stone. What we're going to find in the book of Judges is over and over again, the seeds, the seeds of, you know, again, in the name of love, in the name of, well, God would want me to have it. Wouldn't God want me to be happy? Wouldn't God want me to? I mean, look, I understand Jehovah. I mean, he's cool. He's good. And I, and, and I love him and all. I mean, and let's, let's just kind of slide that. I mean, I love Jesus and all. And I, and I know what he did for me. I mean, I go to the Christmas service. I go to the Easter thing. I mean, I know the whole thing about baby Jesus hanging on the cross, living in heaven. I mean, I know all that. But why can't I have this stuff too? Because compromise destroys faith. What it does is it eats away at victory. So what we see is the next point, and that is that they failed to see, really, the need to pass on their faith to the next generation. And that's the thing that I really, really want to focus on today. I'm setting up the stage for us to see what was the anatomy of this cyclical battle that the poor Israelites had to go through for 200 plus years. What set that up? Well, Again, incomplete obedience, compromise, and this one thing that I really want to hit on, and that is the failure to pass the torch. Folks, we're coming into a period of, in our history, what is called, they're, you know, church uh, strategists, sociologists, are calling it a post-Christian era. And the first time in the history of our nation where it clearly can be document, documented, where there will definitely be less of a Christian influence on every part of our culture. And now you, and I know some people that are cheering that on, even Christians. I mean, I knew of a pastor of a very, I mean, I didn't know him personally, but I'd read this, and he had gotten in front of in the church, and he says, I do not believe that the United States is a Christian nation. Half his church walked out. Now, I don't want to get into his debate, and, and matter of fact, I'm not even sure we should even you know, be talking in those terms, but it is what we have now, this culture, that is very, not only just saying, yeah, you know, we're not really Christian, but we're not going to be against Christians, to what we're now entering in, as you've heard me say, is aggressively against. Because so, you can imagine those, those young people, when it was that time for, and they were coming into their own and beginning to say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to get my inheritance. But that tribe, they said, well, look, those are Canaanites living over there in that next village over. Don't you remember what Moses told us? We're supposed to kill them all off. And then they go, no, 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 man, we've been talking to them. They're cool. Yeah, I know they have three wives and they, you know, they have uh, sex festivals and we know that they burn to, uh, to ba- the Baals. We know they do all that stuff, but that's their deal. I mean, we're just going to keep worshiping the Lord here. But, you know, hey, look, tell you what, not all they, what they do is all that bad. 
I mean, some of these festivals are kind of cool. And so it begins. That next generation, it says here in the scripture, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And I love that little word, that three little words, yet. God was going to move on their behalf at great expense after some great struggle that you will see. But that's what I want us to focus on. Here, folks, we, those of us in this room who had a chance to taste and see that the Lord is good, and I'm especially talking to those who've been walking with the Lord for many years. But I really want to challenge all of us today. I want to challenge us all to look at what we are doing, you know, to pass on this torch. What are we doing to help this next generation? You know, so, okay, we've entered this post-Christian era. We're failing to pass on our faith to the next generation. Whose fault is that? Is it the church's fault? Maybe. But what we see here in Scripture is that it was ultimately a shared, it was the people's fault, individually. It was families. And so we can't really, and I heard an evangelist recently where he got up there and he was really just railing on the, the pulpits of the nation, just saying, look, you're not, you're not preaching sin. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this. And, and I'm just like, pow, 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 getting hit as I'm reading that and thinking to myself, no, man, <laughs> uh-uh. I remember preaching a sermon within the last year out of Joshua for me and my house were going to serve the Lord. And called us up to say, yeah, we want to answer that call as well. I believe that we as a church, I think we've got our, our standard planted in the right place. If you've been coming here long enough, I think you know that's what my conviction is. So what can we do as a people, though? What can we do? Well, look, I don't think we need to rail on sin. I think we understand and know what sin is. I mean, if you read your Bible... If you read your Bible, you'll know. If you read through the New Testament, which you should be on a regular basis, Jesus, the teaches Sermon on the Mount, he breaks it down for us beautifully. He breaks it down for us beautifully. And, and, and maybe I need to do that for us, but I, I think if you read that, it's in very plain English. We're going to understand what it is that Jesus was expecting of us to say, look, I'm bringing grace. I'm going to die for you, but this is how I want you to walk. I'm enhancing. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm enhancing it. I'm, bringing, I'm helping you come up that we don't just do for doing's sake, but we do because you love me and you know what I've done for you. That now purity comes out of the love and the understanding of what Jesus has done, not a forceful, you know, do it or die mentality, which was in the law. So what I think we need to really do when we think of this next generation, folks, is we need to take personal responsibility. We need to all stand up. We all need to realize this is on our watch. And, of course, I, I, I know, I mean, each of us could easily say, well, that's not, Pastor David, I mean, I don't know how I can, I mean, man, I'm just, you know, one little blip in the whole package of blips. I mean, of all the people on the earth, how can I make a difference? Well, when a lot of little people's all over the globe, begin to say, I can make a difference, then we've got something cooking. But it starts in the heart of the people, and I think that's just where we need to start. 
is to realize this is our responsibility. Just as it was the Israelites who, when you know, they were living, they'd experienced so many wonderful things, but what they failed to do was pass it on to their children. But they failed to pass it on to the people who were in their lives. And folks, that's where we really need. You know, and I don't want to you know, just talk mainly about families, but I think that's important. You know, I think our family as a whole, families in our nation, and really across the globe, has, has suffered dearly in our identity and our understanding of what a family is and what is our primary purpose, excuse me, and that is to pour our conviction and pass it on. Not just say that we procreated and, and just move on and, and hope somebody else helps our children figure it out. No, that we're supposed to pour and see that there's a legacy that needs to be passed on. And if we ignore that, it will die. Man, if you've lived any time with Jesus at all, what have you gathered? What have you learned? What have you wrestled through? What principles have you learned? What revelation have you gained that just, and you may say, in in, in just one little revelation... It's certainly more than someone who has none. And that we can pass that on and say, this is what I've learned about Jesus. Passing that on. Now, I'm not talking about syncretism here. I'm not talking about the blending of different things that we find all over the world. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the message of Jesus Christ as it is written in the New Testament. Pure and simple. Okay? All of us have a legacy that is to be passed. And so, again, we can't have that someone else will do it mentality. And I think we've fallen into that. I think we really have. We've fallen into this institutional mentality. You know, some organization, some program, you know, some system, you know, some, you know, uh, whether it be small groups or whatever we do or whether the government does, whatever, we, we just kind of rely upon that that's going to happen. Folks, we, that means we're abdicating our personal responsibility. And the Bible's all about that. The Bible's all about the most powerful passing on of truths come face to face, sitting down with someone and just sharing, this is what I've learned, and passing that torch on. We see that that was the failure of Israel. If we were to look at the seeds of their beginning, that was it. And you say, well, how do you know that, David? Because they said it. And it says that they, another generation, rose up who did not know the Lord. And who was responsible for that? Those who had seen the miracles. Apparently, somewhere along the line, what Jesus or what, what God had done in, in the desert what had happened in the Red Sea, what had happened at the rock, all those things stopped being stories around the fire. And maybe the Canaanite stories of victory, maybe the Philistine stories of victory began filling up the fireside chat more than, man, man, I remember my great-granddad telling me about that pillar of fire. I remember, I remember when Dad used to tell me about the manna that was there every morning and talk about that manna and say, you know what, we can see that. We still have that manna in the Ark of the Covenant. We still have Aaron's rod that budded 
by a miraculous, it was a dead stick that began to bud. I believe it was an uh, almond stick. We have those things. Somehow, it became less and less of the conversation. And, and so how does that translate to us? Folks, we need, to be, we need to be talking about Jesus. We need to tell people about him and what his message is because it's being corrupted. It's being perverted. The History Channel, A&E, the books, our universities, they have, they have the lead on us. And they're out there telling constantly a story that is not biblical at all. So that more and more people are growing up in the next generation not knowing even what the Bible says. And I find that interesting, that people will be out there teaching what the Bible says who have never read it, read it and, and don't have the Holy Spirit to help them interpret it. And yet they're the ones who are communicating to the world what it says. I mean, you know, you know I've got a big time pet peeve on that. So I'm watching the History Channel. It's about Sodom and Gomorrah, and that caught my attention. I thought, okay, what are they going to say about that? So they get this, oh, shoot, I'm going for it. They get this, this professor from Duke. Biblical studies. And there he or she is teaching, and they're, you know, the camera's all up, and the credentials, all the alphabet suit behind their name. Music in, ooh, music in the background. I'm like, oh man, they're getting ready to say. She, she's getting ready to speak and tell me exactly what the Bible says. And she goes, you know, it's so funny how they've interpreted what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah was not about sexual sin at all. God judged that city. I'm being mocking here. I'm sorry. God judged that city because their failure to be hospitable to Joshua. Shoot, in that case, man, there'd be a whole lot of cities around the United States that'd be burning with, you know? God dest- we know exactly why God destroyed those cities. I mean, <laughs> Lot was tempted to throw his daughters out into the crowd of people who wanted to have sex, homosexual sex, with angels who were coming to find out if he could find just ten righteous people. And when Lot was overcome with what was taking place, he said, look, just take my daughters. I mean, is that not what the Bible says? At some point, can we just read it? But this is the point. When you start with a presupposition that the Bible is just really a book of fairy tales, that's what you'll come up with. Who's going to stand up and tell them that? Now you say, well, Pastor Dave, we're relying on you. That reminds me back when I was in high school, out driving one time. We were out goofing off with a bunch of buddies, and, and uh, there I was in the front seat, and a bunch of guys came up behind us, and man, it was on. They were chasing us, and they were all slapping me on the back. We got schmaltz. We got schmaltz. What are you talking about? I ain't going to fight this. <laughs> you guys pick up the tire irons. I'm not going to. Anyway, folks, we're in this fight together, and We're going to win if we all see we need to be on the front line. That we need to get a church that is more uh, educated, is more aware of the fight. 
that is more ready to tell others about who this Jesus really is and say, and speak up and say, um, excuse me. Excuse me. That's not what that, what that means. That's not what it says. Matter of fact, I've got my Bible with me right now. Do you mind if I read it? Or I've memorized that whole portion. Do you mind if I recite it? See, that's the way we, we, we go at this thing. And that's where we, we, we begin to, to turn the tide of this battle. Because folks, I mean, it's nip and tuck out there right now. It's going back and forth. And it's, it's like a battle that's seething back and forth across the lines. Some victory and then some defeat. Of course, the secret is we know how it all ends. That's beautiful. But that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. Jesus said, when I come again, I want to see you in the field. Not sitting on top of a mountaintop going, just like the angel said, what are you guys doing here for? That same Jesus is going to come again. Go get to building the church. Get moving in the same way we need to do it. So what can we do? We need to be a disciple of Jesus, folks. Discover your own purpose in God's mighty plan. We need to get in that. We need to get the torch from Jesus himself. We can't have a torch to pass until we've received it. And we're not talking just salvation. We're talking about our own personal part of it so that we can pass that on to our children. We can pass that on to, our, to, to young men and women who come into our lives, that we can pass this on. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but to be able to pass it on. We've got to be in the world and not of it. We've got to be in the world and, and not of it. Not, I mean, we should all be saying amen to that, so let's practice. Here we go. Ready? Amen. amen. In this world, not of it. What does that mean? It means you've got to live here, and he's placed us here. He's divinely, if it were all about salvation, again, we would just say, Lord, I thank you. We'd come up to this altar, and we'd stand there with Aaron and Doris Lee, and I, I, you want to get saved today? Yes, I would. Lord, just keep coming in my heart. Poof, they just disappear. Because it's all about heaven. If we're all about heaven, there would be no need for us to stay. In Jesus' name, amen. No. No, he says, in Jesus' name, amen. Now go make disciples. Isn't that what Jesus said, Dr. Brian? Isn't that what it says there in Matthew 28? We're supposed to pass that torch. And, it's, and so we know that that's what happened to Israel, that they failed to recognize that. And I got a motor. We got to pour into someone else. Well, let me back up. I'm going to finish that last point. Be in the world, be in the world but not of it. Idolatry sunk Israel's boat over and over again. We're going to see this in our further study. We got to begin to pour into someone else. We got to make disciples ourselves. We need to reproduce ourselves. In the very beginning, God spoke to us. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That exists on every different level. Not just babies, but spiritual babies. Reach, teach, and release. Reach, teach, release. Over and over again. And so everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. In other words, someone you can look up to. Someone that you can walk with in the journey. And someone you can reach to and pull them up. We all need that. If we're going to fulfill this goal, if we're going, to, we're going to be ones that are found faithful in this generation of doing what Jesus has called us to do. 
I believe that's exactly why Jesus said, go forth, you know, make disciples. He understood. We really need to get involved in a small group. And then when you've sufficiently been fed and you're appreciative of, of the time you've spent with that leader, then it's your turn to start one. See, that's called multiplication. And then it gets to this wonderful word um, that I just forgot. <laughs> What's multiplication times multiplication? Thank you, my wife. I love her so much. Exponential growth. That's what changes the world. God took 12 men and changed the world. How do you do that? Exponential growth. Each one of them knowing exactly what they were called to do and going to do it. Imagine if the church, imagine if all of us in this room over this next year just determined that we were going to reproduce ourselves in only one soul, just one soul, lead one person to Christ and disciple them, spend time with them, love on them, help them grow up in God to any measure of you know, spiritual growth, we would double in just one year. Just one year. Yet, the church as a whole only grows by barely more than 1% in a year. Folks, that's, that's less than biological growth. I mean, if you just have two babies a year, <laughs> you know, that should look pretty good. But we're not even keeping up with that. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Much of what we learn is a collection of experiences, lessons, stories, and observing others' lives. Don't be overwhelmed by the thought you have to do it, do it all for an individual. In other words, you don't have to sit down and say, hi, I've got a PhD in Bible, and I'm now going to teach you. No, man, you can just sit down with somebody and say, look, what are you going through? Well, I'm really struggling with this. You know what? I went through that. And this is what I learned. Or you know what? I got a verse for that. A verse that's very precious to me. Let's read it together. And then, how about I'll pray for you? I'll stand with you? Folks, that's huge. Matter of fact, that's what most of us are just looking for. Am I right? I mean, that's all I need is just somebody to know that, look, you can, you can encourage me. And, and many of you do that. I love that when you come up. Because some people are just like, Pastor David, and man, please forgive me, but I, I'd just like to pray for you right now. I'm like, why are you asking forgiveness? Pray for me, man. Minister to me. I'm not above that. I love that. Dwight did that recently. And another brother, Dwight, just said, you know, I mind if I pray for you? I'm just like, go for it. Pray for me, Dwight. He had some great words for me, and I'm just like, man, this is good. He's feeding me. And we all need to do that consistently. You don't pay, even if you've got a little bit to share. I love, you know, the, the, the story of the, the fishes, right, and the bread. What do you have? Well, just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. Jesus takes that, feeds thousands. God can take the little bit of your life, and all he needs is faith and a determination to share it and to give it, and he's going to multiply it. You know, sometimes you see that. You see, you, you see people that have in, influenced and impacted so many lives, and you look at them and say, they're not that impressive. <laughs> you, know, you look at them and say, huh? It's because they were faithful. It's because they had faith. They had a little bit to share, and they said, doggone if I'm not going to share it. 
and go on to change the world. You know, I shared that with, uh, we had the baccalaureate here um, for the early college. It's over at the community college, you know, where high schoolers can get college credit, and, and we, we uh, uh, hosted the baccalaureate here. And that's what I shared with them. I said, look, the race is not to the strong. We all just assume that if you're the fastest, you're the smartest, that you got the most, that you're going to always win and be successful. Not true. Not true. It's the one who takes whatever you got and are faithful to use it for God's glory. Watch what God can do. Excuse me. So we've got to pass on what we've learned. And I write here, you know, to write it down and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Every one of us has a testimony in this room. We've all experienced wonderful victories. Isn't that right, Kent? We've experienced some great stuff, and we need to tell people about it. We need to tell them. We need, they need to be our stories of our time in the desert. The things that we've seen, the pillars of cloud, the fire, the word of God that we've received, we need to share that with people. Because you know what? If we don't, then they're never, they're never going to know. I mean, if you're waiting for somebody to do a document, documentary on PBS on you, I mean, don't wait. It's not going to likely happen. Or, you know, yeah, I'm going to write it all down one day and I'm going to call it and, and make a novel out of it, my life. No. You've got to start telling people right now. So we don't have to grow old in fear for the future. There's a tremendous satisfaction in, in this life knowing that we've contributed to the advancement of God's kingdom. I wonder, will this be part of the question we're asked when we stand before Jesus? What did you do to leave a legacy of faith in order to advance the message of my love to the nations? I kind of think it's going to be on that question. What did you do with what I gave you? And you know what's so funny is because when people are trapped you know what the question that goes around us on, on us on the inside is usually this question. Why isn't God doing more in me? And that will shut us down. When we're always focusing on what we don't have and then focusing more. I don't know what that was back there, but anyway. But if we focus more on what God is doing or has done and is doing, I think that actually paves the road, road for God to do more. I really believe that. So, the people of God, all the elders died off. All that generation, they died. And what they failed to do was to pass the torch of their experiences. And what that did is set up that next generation for struggle and battle. They were going to have to learn it on their own. And, and you know, that is sometimes a philosophy, whether it be a, a parenting philosophy. Well, they're going to learn it on their own. You know, I'm just going to turn them out into the night air. Son, call me when it all's apart. I don't believe in that philosophy, by the way. I've got a lot to share and to pour into my children. I'm going give it, to give it all to them. Now, of course, it's their choice. I mean, we know that. You can't force your children to, to choose God or to choose the right path. I mean, Jesus showed us that with the, 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 you know, the story of the prodigal son. And God will finally just say, look, I've provided, I've done all this for you, if you insist on going out there and wasting your life, well, then, you know, you're going to see something. I'll be here, you know, when it all falls apart. But I personally believe that, folks, we need to pass on the torch. 
and wherever we are. This, this truth applies to any single human being in this room today. I'm without question, without question I believe that. So let's stand up this, this morning. And let's pray, and let's finish here. Again, just kind of an introductory laying the foundation for what we're going to do over the next several weeks. But let's bow our heads, and let's come to the Lord. Really what we want to, we want to get here today is two things. Two things. Number one, Lord, if we're compromising in anywhere in our life, God, if we're, well, Lord, we know we're living in this world, and it's very easy for us, God, to look and what's going on around us and, and just saying, you know what, that appeals to my flesh. I, I like that. And Lord, if we've got a little bit of that going on, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, we know that sin does produce death. But Lord, we also know that failure is not fatal. That Lord even in the case of the Israelites going all through what they went through, Lord, you continue to move in them. And they did become the peoples that brought forth the Son of God. Even through those bumps, bruises, failures, and struggles, your will always prevails. But Lord, what you need this morning, Lord, is willing vessels. Can the pot say to the potter, why did you make me this way? No, what we need to do, Lord, is settle on the spinning wheel and let you shape us, form us. Stick your hand deep into us and create a, a greater vessel so we can hold more of you. That's what we need to do. And let you do it. So, Lord, we ask, God, you'd forgive us our sins, our trespasses. Wash us clean today. Oh, we've taken communion today, Lord, and to be connected. And so, Lord, I pray that you would repair, Lord, every disconnection, Lord, every short circuit. Repair our ability to hear your voice clearly and respond to the will of God in our life. That good, perfect, pleasing will of God. Lord, secondly, we want to pray, God, that you would help us in these days, God, to not abdicate. Lord, not to pull away from or, or, or ignore the torch you've placed in our hand. In these days, God, may we be more than ever determined to pour into people's lives. Lord, whether that be the children you give us or, Lord, the people that you've placed in our life, whether it be in our workplace, Lord, whether it be our neighbors, extended family, but Lord, let it be that, God, we will be the generation and we will be the people in this room that said, Lord, we did everything we could to impact this next generation so that they will know that the Lord is good and his mercies last forever and that Jesus Christ is the Son and that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus, and speak Jesus Christ is Lord. And that we will raise our hands in the classrooms. We will object, Lord, to those inerrant views. Lord, those, or I'm sorry, those errant views of, of Scripture. That we'll do it. 
So Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us today? Would you anoint us with the purpose of God? Would you help us to move forward in these days, God? Not to shrink back. But you said that you would anoint us to become witnesses for you. And so Holy Spirit, lead on. Lead on. In Jesus' name.